0: Hello and welcome, welcome to the very first episode of uh, Nick the American. Um, I'm your host, Roy Firestone. Check that. I'm My name is Nick. I'm not Roy Firestone. Fuck that. Um, but this is the very first episode of Nick the American and I'm going to get to it. Um, who the hell is Nick the American? Um, I am a passionate sports fan. I love the Denver Broncos, even though I'm from Seattle, Washington. I love the Seattle Mariners. I love the Washington Huskies. I want my fucking Sonics back. Um, I love all sports in general. I am a cult fan of the sport of boxing. Um, Larry Merchant once said, um, nobody can kill boxing. Nobody can save it. I don't know. I think he's right. Um, But nonetheless, uh, I'm a a super fan of the sport of boxing. And uh, slowly but surely over time, um, I'm going to share with you fights as general sports fans that you guys shouldn't miss. General sports fans should not be watching boxing all the time. You're not a cult fan. What you should be doing is watching the right fights. And and I'll direct you there. Um, I am a liberal Democrat. Okay. Okay conservatives do not fucking change the channel we need to have a dialogue in this country we need to change the conversation we need to realize how much we have in common we focus on what we don't have in common which is very little i'm telling you okay so over the course of time i'm going to explain to you what liberal democrat means to me especially the socially liberal side of things to me being socially liberal And I've heard this from conservatives too. It means freedom, okay? It means freedom. Um, I have conservatives, Republicans, nice red conservatives in my family, in my close friends group, in my business. I own my own company, okay, for about 12 years now. I work with people throughout the South. My biggest customer base is Tennessee. Alabama, Oklahoma, Florida, Georgia, and I know incredible conservatives across these states, okay? We have so much in common, and when we sit down and have lunch or dinner, we realize how much we have in common, and the things that we're divided over are total bullshit, most of them, and we've got so much to unpack, but over the course of so many episodes and so many shows, we will unpack it, okay? Bear with me. We need to improve the conversation in this country. Um, I'm a father of four. I've got a wonderful wife. I've got three boys and a baby girl. She's not a baby. She's eight. Um, but it's, again, it's something that we have in common. Having kids, loving sports isn't red or blue, right? It's American. American. And that's what we need to focus on, okay? Um, I have a passion for electoral politics, okay? I don't really love the day-to-day grind um, outside of an election cycle. Um, It's it's so bullshit. You got MSNBC and you got Fox News, everybody telling you what to believe or telling you what's important. What I like about politics is the race, okay? Every two years we get an election— Every four years, we get a presidential election, okay? I would love unpacking that, right? It's fascinating to me how a Republican or a Democrat gets out of the primary, right, in a presidential race. How do they transition into a national candidate? How they get enough delegates to become the nominee, okay? And so we're going to discuss that ad nauseum. I'm I'm a little excitable, okay? I'm going to say some naughty things, and that's okay, right? I'm going to be really hard on Republicans at times. I'm going to be hard on fucking Democrats, my own party, right? I'm going to be hard on them. But we've got a few characters in the Republican Party that I think the Republican Party, the GOP, just needs to eliminate. Addition by subtraction. Let's just say... Rona McDaniel, right, the head of the RNC. She just gave me 10 million fucking bucks, okay? Said, "Nick, I want you to help us become a better party, okay? I want you I want you to help us win in November. If you can do that, Nick," says Rona, "I'll give you 25 million if we win. Total of 35 million bucks. What the fuck would you do?" So I'll tell you what I would do. Slowly but surely, I will tell you what I will do, okay? And so, let's just jump into a topic. We heard Machine Gun Taylor Green, the representative from Georgia, just recently call out for a national divorce. Again, I've got Republicans in my family. I've got Republicans in my close-knit friends group. I've got Republicans in my business. Boom! And Machine Gun Taylor Green thinks it's time for a fucking divorce. National divorce is not what we should be talking about. A national truce is what we should be talking about. A national reconciliation. Okay? We're going to be real hard on people like Machine Gun Taylor Green. Okay? Which he basically calls for sedition. Right? Let's get the fuck out of the United States. We're no longer the United States of America. And her plan right it's good that she thought through the logistics I think what have we heard from her well liberals won't be allowed to vote in a red state that they moved to for five years what the fuck are you serious this is a member of Congress it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous and so My travels, I travel a lot, especially in the South. I'm up in the Northeast. I'm in the West. I realize that we have this much in common. Red, blue, wig, it doesn't fucking matter. Conservative, liberal, it doesn't matter. We have this much in common. And we spend most of our time talking about this. What we don't have in common. We've got to improve the communication. I promise you, if I had dinner with Sean Hannity, if I had dinner with Ben Shapiro, if I had dinner with Matt Gates or even fucking Machine Gun Taylor Green, we could sit down and we could come up with a laundry list of things that we have in common, yet somehow some way we end up hating each other, okay in two thousand um Al Gore and uh, George W. Bush engaged in the closest election in the history of our country, right? Really, there was no winner and there was no loser. That's how fucking close it was in the state of Florida, right? Gore wins by half a million votes. Bush wins by three to 500 votes in the state of Florida. He's able to win the presidential election, okay? Al Gore said in his concession speech, and hey, Scott, my producer, make sure you fucking put this speech up there because every American needs to see it because this is American. Al Gore says that which divides us can never be greater than that which that unites us. I didn't get that fucking quote completely right. And I don't even think Al Gore came up with it, right? But what he says there is so important and it's so true. Like I said, we have this much in common And we spend all of our time worrying about what we don't have in common, okay? Um, I know this from firsthand conversations. I was just in Tennessee. Tennessee, by the way, is my adopted home state. I'm born and raised in a suburb outside of Seattle my entire life. Three years ago, I moved my company from Seattle to Tennessee. The beautiful volunteer state. I love that damn state, right? I love the Vols. I grew up watching Johnny Majors, baby. Um, and so I moved my company to Tennessee. And I get to have wonderful conversations with conservatives all the time. I was just at the Southern Social. Great fucking food, by the way. Great food. It was in Memphis, Tennessee. And I sat down with a gentleman named Steve. Big time conservative. And he was from Mississippi, hottie toddy baby, Hottie toddy. He's a rebel. Um, and we had a fantastic conversation. It was clear that we had so much in common. And I told Steve, right? I said, I'm a liberal Democrat and you're supposed to be scared of me, right? Let me tell you what that means. You shouldn't be scared of me. And at the end of our dinner, fuck man, we were deciding when the hell are we gonna do this again? We had too much fun. I have customers all throughout the Southeast, and time and time and time again, I'm reminded it's not red, it's not blue, it's not independent, whatever color that is. We're Americans, and it's important for us to realize that and take a different tone with one another, right? Maybe it just starts with us, the people. Because the fucking news outlets, they can't do it. Right? Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity. Boy, guys, I'm not sure you can do it. I'm not sure my friend Rachel Maddow and MSNBC can't do it, can do it. So fucking polarizing when we talk as Americans one-on-one, whether it be in our church or our business or On the sidelines of a Little League baseball game, we don't need to have arguments. And I've had arguments before, right? I'm trying to take my tone down because we have got to connect differently as Americans, okay? We just have to. And like I said, I could have dinner. Well, maybe not with Paul Gosar. Yeah, you know, like I said, there's some some Republicans that I'm gonna have a, a, a rough time with. Um, I could sit down and have dinner with Mitt Romney. Hell yes, he'd have made a he made, he would have made a fine president. I could I would love to sit down with George W. Bush and chat with him. I'd have a beer, maybe he'd have an O'Douls, right? Um, but the point is, we believe so many of the same things, right? Or very close to the same things. Yeah, we're from different parts of the country. We have different upbringings, right? But so many things that we have in our day-to-day lives, whether it be sports, whether it be family, whether it be religion, they're the same, folks. They're the same. And we need to start thinking about that, okay? The Democrats are not trying to destroy America. The Republicans are not trying to ruin the country, right? But that's what we hear. That's what we hear, and it's total horseshit, okay? So I'm going to unpack so many different things on this podcast. We're going to talk about conspiracy theories. We're going to talk about religion. Like I said, I love sports. You're going to get your fill, and we're going to jump everywhere. This is the only program we're going to fucking talk about abortion And then we're going to be talking about the Denver Broncos or the Tennessee Volunteers or the Alabama Crimson Tide, right, or the Live and PGA Golf Tours, right? We're going to flip around, okay, whether it be Kanye West or Machine Gun Taylor Green. It doesn't matter, okay? And I'm going to hopefully consistently point out what we have in common, what we as people, as Americans, have in common. That's what Nick the American's all about. And by the way, hey, Sean Hannity, let's do lunch. I'll take you out for a Ruth Chris steak. I bet we get our fucking steaks cooked medium rare. My goodness, we have something in common, Sean. I would have never thought. So, anyways, let's get into it. What should we talk about first? Why don't we talk about the GOP presidential primary, okay? Right? Let's, 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 let's. Let's unpack it a little bit. Let's give our analysis. What's going on here? What's gonna go on? Like I said, I love electoral politics. It absolutely fascinates me, okay? And so we've got a GOP primary shaping up um, like none other, right? Now, 2016, we had Trump, obviously, China, and like 20 other GOP hopefuls, okay? It was perfect for an outsider, really a rhino. Trump calls everybody in the Republican Party. He'll call Mitch McConnell, he'll call Lindsey Graham. It doesn't fucking matter, right? If you disagree with him, you are a Republican in name only, okay? Um, and so we had Trump, who was actually the real rhino versus Carly Fiorino and you know Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush. Um, the more, the merrier in that 2016 primary better for Trump. I don't think he won his first state in the primary, got three, four states in, but he was able to garner 20, 20 22%. Everybody's able, else is able to take 3%, 4%, 7%, 2%, right? Trump might've been in big trouble. Had it been one, two, three guys, let's say it was Paul Ryan, Donald Trump and Mitt Romney. He might have been in big trouble. The more, the merrier, the bigger the field, the better it is for Trump. And I think that's what we're seeing a little bit right now. I mean, we've got Trump, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, possibly Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia. We've got Nikki Haley, uh, South Carolina, Tim Scott, um an african-american from south carolina who's got kind of an obama hope and change and faith message right which is far different than the last eight years under trump um the message has been more of like fucking gotham city right everything's doom and gloom um is brian kemp gonna run the governor of georgia might be damn tough to beat um chris christie's out there you know Saber, saber rattling, whatever the hell that means. Um, is he going to run? I don't know. But if he runs, if I'm Trump, I'm begging him to run. Sure, he's going to knock Trump. If I'm Trump's people, Chris Christie, uh, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, please run. You guys can all siphon your two to three percent, right? Dilute the field. Because DeSantis is probably the one that he's most afraid of. He's the one that he's identified. Okay, Greg Abbott, governor of Texas. I don't know. Is he thinking about a potential run? Asia Hutchinson, uh, former governor of uh, Arkansas, Um, kind of an anti-Trump guy and coming from Arkansas. Um, That's a little bit different. Um, I know you've got Sununu from New Hampshire, who's another anti-Trump guy that will siphon off not votes from Donald Trump, most likely, but from the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantos. Okay, Um, and so it's going to be very interesting um, who decides. Uh, I saw that Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, um, just decided not to run um, for precisely the reason that I'm kind of talking about. Um, The more the merrier for Trump. Larry Hogan understands that. Okay, Larry Hogan says, if I run right, I'm going to siphon off a certain um, amount of votes and I'm going to screw the potential challenger to Donald Trump because he probably knows he's not it you know and it's funny my son asked me the other day um, dad could you vote for a a Republican could you vote for a Republican and I told him sure in 2016 John Kasich I could have voted for right Larry Hogan is somebody I could consider no no question about it right I could do this it's very rare but I think that and I'm not asking Republicans to go vote Democratic. I'm not asking Democrats to go vote Republican. I want to improve the dialogue overall, right? But when we look at this primary lineup, and there's probably a couple of, a few more Republicans, you know, Ted, Lion, Ted Cruz, right? That's Trump's name for him, not mine. Um, you know, may enter the race. Um, but the thing about a presidential primary, um, is once you get a lead in the delegate count, it becomes very difficult to overcome. Ask Hillary Clinton when Barack Obama got the the, the very small delegate count lead against her. Obama lost the state of Texas, okay? But because of the proportional delegate system, he was able to get more delegates. He garnered more delegates out of the state of Texas, even though he lost the state to Hillary Clinton. Okay. And so there's all these different rules. Some of them are, some states are winner take all. Some states are not some, you need to get a threshold in the Republicans. It might be 35%. It might be 50%. I'm not sure where, if you hit that threshold, you get all the delegates. And so someone like Ron Santos needs to outflank Donald Trump. He needs to have a 50-state strategy. Hey, Ron, if you're listening, I would fucking hire David Plouffe and David Axelrod. Who gives a shit that they're liberals? They're the architects of the Obama victory over Hillary Clinton. They had... Hillary Clinton thought this thing was going to be over by Super Tuesday. Okay? Ha, ha, ha. You know, the joke's on her. The Obama campaign, they knew which states were winner-take-all. They knew which states, the threshold that they needed to reach to get the most amount of delegates. They knew they could lose the state of Texas and still get more delegate votes. Hillary Clinton wasn't thinking about a primary fight. She was thinking about the general election, okay? She was thinking about the general election and she got outflanked by a superior team, okay? It wasn't necessarily that Obama outflanked her. Obama's team, outflanked her. So if I was Ron Santos, I'd be looking at the David Plouffe, uh, delegate, uh, you know, you know, game plan. And I would go after him that way. Um, because here's, what's going to happen. And Republicans, you are, you know, Hey, voter fraud's been rampant. Oh my God. Mike Lindell has been telling us and Donald Trump's been telling us with no evidence how the election was stolen, okay? And a lot of Republicans. Listen to me, Republicans. You guys bought into it. Sean Hannity told us off air what under oath, not for one second did he believe there was voter fraud. Yet all of his listeners, radio and on Fox News, thought that there was voter fraud, okay? You wait, Republicans. Let's say, let me paint this scenario for you. Let me paint this scenario. Donald Trump is behind in the delegate count ever so slightly. I'm talking Hillary Clinton behind Obama by this much, but it was so difficult to catch him. Bernie Sanders in the following election on the Democratic side in the primary was behind Hillary Clinton by a little amount, but he couldn't catch her. Let's say DeSantis has a small small delegate lead, okay? Do you ever, ever Think Trump would concede. Trump's going to be winning states, losing states barely. God forbid DeSantis does the David Plouffe plan and outflanks him and wins more delegates in a state that he doesn't have as many votes in, like Texas, right? Donald Trump is going to throw a grenade into the Republican Party with voter fraud. He is the winner. No matter what, no matter if he loses, if he has zero delegates or he's one delegate behind, right? He will not give up. And so, how many Republicans are going to enter the field? And how many are going to dilute from Ron DeSantis? How many are going to dilute from Donald Trump? Um, It's going to be super interesting. Um, Who are some of the appealing candidates? Um, You know, DeSantis is from Florida. Florida's become a red state, right? I don't want to hear it from Democrats that it's a, a fucking mixed state. We haven't, we haven't really been close to carrying it the last two election cycles. Okay. So DeSantis has got Florida in the bag. Um, What else is appealing about it? Right. Does he, you know, I like candidates that can give you a potential state that otherwise you might lose. For example, Glenn Youngkin, he's the governor of virginia if you tell me right now republicans carry the state of virginia in the presidential election in 2024 i'm telling you you've won you are going to have the presidency okay um now if you tell me we're going to carry florida i'm going to say yeah no shit yeah no shit right um if larry hogan would have run He's not running, but if you tell me that Republicans are going to carry Maryland, I'm telling you that you're president, okay? And we'll unpack the Democratic primary in another episode, but let's say I like Roy Cooper, governor of North Carolina, Democratic governor of North Carolina, same kind of logic. If you tell me that Democrats carry North Carolina in 2024, I'm telling you, you know, he's the, you know, the Democrats are, are going to win the presidency. It's that damn simple. So who's appealing, right? Tim Scott, South Carolina. South Carolina's yours. However, being a black dude, right? I bet you carry Georgia. I bet you carry Georgia. Because Tim Scott is a sane black dude. He's a good dude. He's a, sm- a smart dude. Kind of the J.C. Watts mold, right? He's not Herschel fucking Walker, a moron. He's not Kanye West. Republicans, you guys don't need to embrace dumbasses, right? Embrace Tim Scott. A hope, a change of faith message. Now, do I think you will? No. But if Scott was your nominee, I think you carried Georgia, which is, yeah, you know, Democrats carried the state of Georgia last election cycle, right? Despite what Trump says, right? It was Republicans in the state of Georgia, Brad Raffsenberger, et cetera. The cemented, there is no voter fraud, right? So Tim Scott, somebody, Chris Christie, I mean, who gives a fuck? Greg Abbott, if he runs, right? Um, State of Texas, you've got Texas in your bag. Can he appeal nationally? I'm not so sure. Brian Kemp to me is interesting because like I just said, Republicans, you guys lost Georgia last time. Brian Kemp's your nominee. You win Georgia by nine percentage points. It's not even fucking close. And if you win Georgia by that much, I got to believe that you take North Carolina completely off the table, right? Florida's yours. Um, So Brian Kemp could be a dark horse. Mike Pompeo, go fuck yourself. Mike Pence, would you quit being a pussy? Donald Trump called for your head. A lot of people listened. And you still, you still are scared to death of the Don, right? Mike Pence, quit being a pussy. If you want to run for president, run for president. And that goes for all of them. If they want to beat Trump, it's time to start going after him, right? It's It's time to start letting regular Republicans know, this guy holds none of your values, I sit down with conservatives all the time, and I go, oh, my God, we have the same values. We have the same fucking values. Trump has none of anyone's values. Republicans always like to say, what is it, God, country, party? Well, if you're a mega Republican, right, you've got to add one more in there. You've got to add Trump. God? No. Trump's not interested in God. Party, excuse me, Um, uh, family. Is Trump really interested in family like you are, right? Could you be a serial cheater on three different wives and and your your wives be okay with it? Um, He has nothing in common with you. The party, he doesn't give a fuck about the Republican Party. The guy was a liberal palling around with Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton before he ran for president. He's a chameleon. He cares about Trump, number one. Trump, number two. And Trump, number three. So if you're a God, family, party Republican, Trump doesn't really mesh. He just doesn't really mesh. So it's going to be interesting. Um Watch that delegate count. I know we're still far away. We don't even have all the entries into the, into the race yet. Um, but if DeSantis is able to get a lead in the delegate count ever so slightly, he can outflank Donald Trump, and then the real war is on because Trump, whether he has zero delegates, or he has he's down by one, or he's up by one, he's the winner. He gets fucked if he doesn't win. And and we saw what he was prepared to do um, in the 2020 election. He was prepared to tear it all down in the name of Donald Trump. Again, watch Al Gore's concession speech. Watch it. Had Trump of Trump got his ass kicked. He got his ass kicked by Biden. He got beat by over 7 million votes. He got seven fucking states flipped on him, but he won the election. Won the election. Okay? You talk to Donald Trump if he loses. And he won. He will tear down your party. So be very careful. Be very careful. DeSantis, you get a little bit of the lead on him, and you've got him. You've got him. But it's going to be difficult Because he will not accept defeat. And when he does not accept defeat, no matter what the score is, what are Republicans going to do? Are you going to stand up and finally say, dude, you hijacked our party in 2015. We had a little Stockholm syndrome. We kind of fell in love with our captor. But now it's time to go. You guys need to show the motherfucker the door, right? I'm down with any Republican being president even Ron DeSantis. I don't care. There's only one person that can't be president again. And Republicans, I bet 40% of you guys know this. It's Donald Trump, the guy who doesn't give a fuck about God. He doesn't give a fuck about party. He doesn't give a fuck about family, right? It's crazy. Let's wake up a little bit. All right. Let's move on. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. I told you uh, we're going to jump around a lot, and I'm a huge sports fan. Um, Born and raised in the beautiful city of Seattle. State of Washington is incredible. Love me some Seattle Mariners. When are my Seattle Supersonics coming back? Sue Bird in the storm, even though she retired. The Washington Huskies. Go dogs. There's just one thing. And it's kind of defined me over the last 30 years of my life. I'm 44 by the way. A little over 30 years of my life since I was like 6, 7 years old. I hate the Seattle Seahawks. I fucking hate them. And it has been a real, you know, it's it's been difficult for me the last decade because normally the Hawks have sucked. Last decade, they've been, they've, been, they've been really good. They left a couple Super Bowls on the table. Um, but I've watched this dude run around in Seattle for a long time, make plays when there weren't plays to be made. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, I've hated Seattle ever since 1986. Um, how am I a Denver Bronco fan? I have a Ph.D., in everything Denver Broncos. It is my passion. I think they're neck and neck with my family, right? And my family knows this. It's okay. I'm sick, okay? 1986, my parents have season tickets to the Seattle Seahawks, and they play in a, the Kingdom. And I'm telling you, the Kingdome was the loudest fucking place ever. I mean, you couldn't hear the person next to you, okay? And so my parents take me, To my very first game, I'm seven years old. It's 1986, and they're playing this orange and blue team called the Denver Broncos. They call them the Donkeys, you know, the Denver Broncos. And I go to the game as a, you know, I think a Seahawks fan. My mom and my dad are huge Seahawks fans. They've had season tickets forever. And it's a huge waiting list. Um, So I go to this game. Um, It's late in the year. And Denver absolutely gets the fuck beat out of them. 41 to 16, I believe the score was. Okay. And there's these little crazy pockets of orange and blue. People are painted up throughout the dome. Just little pockets, right? Of Bronco fans. We're a proud franchise. We travel okay. Um, Even though it was, you know, 98% Seahawks fans. And Seattle literally just beat the shit out of Denver that day. But all I heard. Um, from the announcer, was stop on the play by number 77, Carl Mecklenburg. Mecklenburg on the stop for the Broncos. And I think about halfway through the game, I was like, you know what? I'm going to rebel here. I'm a seven year old, know nothing. Um, I'm a Bronco fan, right? That's what I said to myself. I am a Bronco fan. Elway is literally going up to center and telling the red, backing off. I can't hear. I can't hear, right? They're like stopping the game. I think they threw a 15-yard penalty on the crowd or warned the crowd because Elway couldn't hear. That's how nuts it was. The final score, I believe, was 41-16 to in 1986, and I went home and I said, it's official. I am a Denver Bronco fan. And so that's where the seed was planted. My mother, we have no internet. We have, you know, this is the, you know, the old school, 1980s, she calls up the Denver Pennies. okay? And she gets a number 77 Carl Mecklenburg jersey. Well, and I proceed to wear this thing all the time. The Denver Broncos become a passion, a sick obsession for me, okay? Obviously, I didn't know who I was rooting for when I started rooting for them, really, Right. They had a guy named John Elway who was, you know, one of the greatest players in National Football League history. Okay. Um, and then in 86, what did they do? You had the drive against Cleveland that I got to watch on TV, right? Elway taking them from the two, scoring, hitting uh, Mark Jackson in the end zone. Touchdown, Broncos. Um, then they went to the Super Bowl. They led 10 9 and a half against the fucking Giants. Ended up losing, what, 39-20? to 20? Phil Sims went fucking crazy in the second half. Um, and then they went, they were in the Super Bowl at three or four years, right? We had the Giants. Um, we're up 10-0 against the Redskins and fucked that one away. And then we had to play the, the 49ers, which was really the greatest show on turf that year, um, in the Superdome and got beat 55-10. fucking 10. So that's my Bronco love started there. And it became a crazy obsession. The Seahawks were in the AFC West, me growing up. So I got to see my Broncos once a year in the kingdom, right? I used to go paint my fucking body at some of these games, right? Absolutely nuts. So we fast forward. Again, I've got a PhD in everything Denver Bronco, okay? This is last year. I'm on a Zoom call because I have jury duty, okay? And the judge is asking us questions, or the attorneys are asking us questions. And I've got my computer screens up because I'm trying to do some work, right? Um, And all of a sudden, I get a text from one of my friends saying, Russell Wilson to Denver, you know, question mark, question mark, question mark right? This is right when we're supposed to get Aaron Rodgers, and the Aaron Rodgers news had dumped that morning that he was staying in green Bay. Denver's not getting him. We hired fucking Nathan Hackett just so we could get Aaron Rodgers. So I was kind of down in the dumps as I'm hopefully not going to be picked for jury duty. Who the hell wants to get picked for jury duty? Um, and I get a text from a friend and then I get another one and I'm like, holy shit, this could be real. And I'm looking on the internet while I'm on this zoom call and I see breaking news. Russell Wilson has become a Denver Bronco. I started squirming. I made some noise and the judge says something to the effect of juror number 89. You need to be polite and respectful and not be speaking. Oh shit. Right. I'm like doesn't she know Russell Wilson Seattle's Russell Wilson, the greatest quarterback in Seahawks franchise history, has just become a part of my team. Oh, my God. This is too good to be true. This is too good to be true. I was elated. I was elated. I think a lot of Seahawks fans were crushed. Well, we hadn't had excitement in Denver. We haven't made the playoffs since 2015 when we won the Super Bowl. So this was the most exciting Bronco football had been in several, several years. We had our preseason games sold out, right? Not the, I mean, everybody in the seats. I don't just mean sold out. We're always sold out. Everyone in the seats. People were so fucking fired up for Bronco football. We had number three, right? We had a good defense. We had receivers, right? We had a running back named Javante Williams. And this little fucker ruined everything. Russell Wilson took one of the proudest franchises in the NFL, one of the most passionate fans in Nick that you could find. And by week six or seven, he did the worst thing you could do. He made me not care, he made Bronco fans not care. The football that we were playing was so fucking pathetic, it wasn't watchable. For the first time in my life, I, I had a tough time watching our offense not score and not score and not score, okay? It was it, – it, it, I, I can't even put into words what last season was like, okay? Okay. And then everything comes out about what a douchebag Russ is. And we always knew he was douchey in Seattle. He was kind of a a nerd. But calling Seahawk audibles, bringing in fucking Jake Heaps, his personal quarterback coach. Um, I don't know the truth. Is he approachable? Is he not? Is he a prima donna? Is he not? The only thing I know is he ruined Bronco football last year. And so he's got an opportunity he got the coach he wanted. Uh, my hope is that Nathaniel Hackett was was just so damn dumb. he was so bad um uh, just malpractice hopefully um that someone a pro like Sean Payton can turn it around but I don't know. I mean Russ gets sacked three times in warmups I, I'll give you here. I'm a Washington Husky fan. Purple up here in Montlake, baby. Michael Penix. We got the best pure passer in the country. Michael Penix dropped back to pass 596 fucking times. Do I swear a lot? My wife's going to yell at me for this. Um, He dropped back to pass 596 times. Michael Penix and the Washington Huskies were sacked five times. Russell gets sacked five times in warmups. On Saturday, I got to watch Offensive Perfection. On Sunday, I literally bang my fucking head against the wall. So Russ has about six weeks under Sean Payton. Maybe it's four. Maybe it's eight. I'm not sure. But if, if Bronco fans get the same shit that we had last year, I'm going to take this jersey and I'm going to burn it. I'm going to burn it. I just can't handle it anymore. I won't handle it anymore. So, Russ, please, I want to win. Do you realize, Russ, I've never beaten the Kansas City Chiefs and Pat Mahomes. Bronco fans, Bronco nations, Bronco maniacs. I mean, we've never beaten the Chiefs when Mahomes is a starting quarterback. His very first fucking start was against us. The last game of the season when Alex Smith was the QB. Couldn't beat him then, we can't beat him now. Russ, I beg you. Go back to being nerdy Russ, right? Drop the fucking dangerous podcast and all the bullshit. Become a football player. Hell, Russ, I know you're a great dude. Go into Children's Orthopedic Hospital, but stop doing that. Stop going to see the kids. Don't see them. Just win, baby. Just win. This thing's getting old. I got this after we beat Pittsburgh in the uh, 98 championship game, 24-21. We were ahead 24-14 and a half. We didn't even score the second half. We still won. We still won. Our very first Super Bowl, I broke down, and I cried, and I cried. And we can get into 2013 Seahawks fans and how devastating that was for me, right? We can talk about that, too. Um, But I just wanted to get the Russell Wilson thing off my chest, right? I thought it was the best move in the world. George Payton, our GM, I didn't think we gave up too much. Noah Fant, Drew Locke, and fucking Shelby Harris. Yep, we had to give up a couple first-round picks in in a second. Um, Swap picks, I think, too. I didn't think we gave up too much. Watching Wilson last year. A conditional fifth round pick would have been too fucking much. My God, I mean, the Denver Broncos would have been—they were like—would have been ten and one if they'd have just in the first eleven games. All they had to do is score seventeen points. This was a Russell Wilson I had never seen before. Right? So damn bad. And I guess you got to give Pete Carroll a ton of credit, potentially, because he knew how to manage the deficiencies of this little fucker, okay? Russ, I don't want to call you a little fucker. I don't want to badmouth you. I want you to win football games for the Denver Broncos in the worst way possible. Go Broncos. All right, it's probably time to transition here. Okay, by the way, by the way, um, I got to bring this up. I just got back from Memphis, Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I was freaking out for a week. Why was I freaking out, uh, for a week? Um, because I didn't have a bidet, right? When I travel now, I don't have a bidet. I should bring one with me in my suitcase. But, um, a couple years ago we stayed with friends in hood canal, look it up. Beautiful hood canal, really unique part of the country, right? Up there in the Pacific Northwest. Right. So, my wife tells me, hey, they've got a bidet. You should go try it out. And, and I I say, okay. And I went into the bathroom and I didn't even have to go, right? Um, no number two. But I'm sitting there and I, I don't know how it works. And I'm waiting for something to happen. And I even flushed the toilet. And I'm like, what the fuck? Right? Nothing. Nothing. I had to go back out and say, hey, what's going on? Oh, you have to move the button. So I did it. and Whoa, woo whoa, 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 the asshole. Holy shit. And I found myself, I didn't have to go. It was later at night. I went back in there a couple times just to get a little refresher. Like, holy moly, this is, this is great. Well, that was two years ago. We got bidets installed in our bathrooms. And I'm 44 years old. It took me 40 plus years to realize that jamming toilet paper up my bunghole is not the right way to go. If you do not have a bidet, get a bidet. I'm telling you, you can get one for like 35 bucks on Amazon. My son installed it. It's not hard, right? I thought, oh, is it a thousand bucks? Is it going to require a plumber to come in and fix? It is fucking easy. Give your asshole a break. Stop jamming toilet paper up it and get yourself a bidet. You get yourself a bidet, you're going to go to Vegas with your friends, or you're going to go travel, you're going to go on a vacation with your kids or whatever, and you're going to go, oh my God, I've got to go back to the caveman way of wiping my ass. Get a bidet, get a bidet. All right, I got that off my chest. I don't know where that, where that came from, but uh, all right. Last but not least, I told you um, I'm a boxing cult fan. I am a boxing cult fan. I love the damn sport, and I got to tell you a quick story. All right, I've got four kids. My oldest um, is a is a wrestler. He likes to fight. Okay, and um, this was a few years, uh, like four years ago, I think. Now maybe three years ago, I'm not sure. Um, this was before COVID. Um, I took him to da- I, I took him um, downtown to uh, a boxing gym. And he was in his wrestling season at the time, but and some of his other wrestling buddies had been doing some boxing. So I took him to this boxing gym, um, the Azteca gym in Renton, Washington. And um, Spanish-speaking, you go inside. It's a real boxing gym. Um, and, you know, I'm getting pricing and, and looking things up and and talking to some of the people. Um, and uh, I was like, all right, well, you know, this, this sounds good. All right we'll get him signed up after a wrestling season. And so wrestling season's over and I'm going to go get him signed up. And my wife says, well, there's this new boxing gym across the street. You got to check it out. It's called Benavidez boxing. And we have a guy in, in, in town. That's a fame. That's uh, a baseball coach for a local high school. He does select baseball and his last name is Benavidez and I'm, I tell my wife, I'm like, honey, I don't want to do some Thai shit. Carter wants to fight. He wants to learn to fight. He wants to prepare to fight another kid. This Azteca gym, that's what they do. And she says, go check it out. It might be cheaper. Just check it out. And I'm like, well, okay, fine, fine. So me and my son walk into this gym, boxing gym across the street from Azteca boxing gym. And there's a a lady named Daisy who comes out to the front and um, you can kind of gander toward the back of the gym. It's a long, narrow gym and Daisy uh, comes up and she, you know, greets us and she's talking a mile a minute, giving us pricing, um, you know, monthly rate versus if you, you know, different scenarios that we could, we could go with. Okay. Gorgeous woman, by the way, this is, I should have been staring at her, right? Me, my son, Daisy, um, and I looked down at the end of the boxing gym and I was like, geez, you guys have what a cryo chamber. Uh, and she turned, oh yes, we're a serious fighting family. I'm like, wow, that's okay. That's interesting. And, uh, I see a couple gentlemen boxers, um, down far down the way. And I looked at him and I, oh, geez, you guys have, I thought to myself as Daisy's talking a mile a minute, you guys have some serious, serious fucking fighters here. And as Daisy's talking, the two um, that are training um, have moved down the narrow gym much closer to me. And as Daisy's talking, I'm not staring at Daisy, which I, you know, I probably should have been, right? My son was there. I had to be polite. I notice these two fighters. And I start staring at one fighter in particular. He has a white T-shirt on. And literally, my jaw is like this. And I said, I, "Excuse me, Miss. Yes, who, 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 who's the gentleman in the the white t-shirt?" She looks looks back and she goes, "Oh, that's David." And I said, "David, David Benavides." She goes, "Yeah, yeah, it's, you know him. That's David fucking Benavides." That's what I said. What the fuck is David Benavidez doing in Renton? That's what I said. David Benavidez, the super middleweight champion of the world, and he's been stripped a couple times, undefeated, one of the best young fighters in the sport, is training in my hometown. I literally couldn't fucking talk. What the fuck is David Benavidez doing in Renton? Okay? Okay. It was like a dream come true, right, for this Colt boxing fan, okay? And so I bring it up because David's got the biggest fight in his career coming up on March 25th against Caleb Plant, and this is a fight that casual sports fans want to watch. There's so many fights that are boring, boring, it's, it's hardcore, sweet science, hit and not get hit. It doesn't have the action of UFC sometimes. Mike Tyson, just nicknamed David Benavides the Mexican monster, okay? He comes at you like a fucking snowball, okay? And he's fighting Caleb Plant. Caleb Plant's only loss is to Canelo Alvarez, and this is March 25th. Watch this fight. Get some friends together. I'm telling you, this podcast is the home of David Benavidez, the Mexican monster. And when you see him fight, you'll know why. When you see him fight, you won't miss another fight. Mexicans, they carry the sport of boxing in a lot of ways. Listen to me, Mexicans. You guys have Eric Morales and Julio Cesar Chavez and Marco Antonio Barrera and Canelo Alvarez. A lot of these guys are smaller weights. You got a big-ass Mexican from Phoenix, Arizona originally, speaks fluent, beautiful Spanish, along with English. You've got a fighter that's big and loves to beat the shit out of people. Okay? Support this dude. March 25th. And maybe, you know, one day we'll have David on this show because nobody loves him more than me and he will talk boxing with you. Right. He, he knows past and present fighters. Um, He's really a joy to talk to. And Jose senior, his father invited me into training camp right before COVID hit. Okay. I took my two oldest boys out of school. Okay. We went to the training camp and we watched David spar you know, six guys, seven, eight guys in twelve rounds. David got off, got out of the ring. He went and got on a bike and started riding the uh, a bike. Um, he got off that bike to come take a picture with my two boys. Right? Didn't have to do that. And boxers in general are very approachable. Right? They're very approachable. You'll you'll find that anybody who 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 asks to take a picture or get an autograph from a fighter. More times than not, you know, they find out, my goodness, this was so much, they were so much more approachable than someone from the NFL or, the, or Major League Baseball or something like that. So, March 25th, Caleb Plant, David Benavides. Um, don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's on pay per view. I don't like pay per view any more than you do, but uh, uh, don't miss it. And by the way, hey, Saudi Boxing Federation, Saudi, hey, Saudi Arabia, are you listening to me? I did not know how to feel about you guys jumping in with the live. You know, I don't watch golf anymore because Tiger Woods isn't relevant. Um, But you jumped into golf and you had the PGA tour to contend with. Hey, Prince Khalid, Prince Khalid, if you're looking to take over a sport, take over one that's got no ownership. Call me. Call me. I got a plan. Saudi Arabia can own the sport of boxing. Get the WBA, the WBC, the IBF, and the WBO together. You get Al Heyman, Bob Arum, Eddie Hearn, Samson Lykovich, Golden Boy. Get the top five, six, Frank Warren, six, seven promoters together. Get everybody in a room and make them all owners in the sport, right? Get them all together. Make them owners. We have to have the best fight the best on a consistent basis. And right now in boxing, we rarely get true super fights. We rarely get the best fighting the best. So Saudis, if you want to pump a bunch of money into a sport that you want to take over, boxing's for sale. It's for sale. So Prince Khalid, I love your passion. He loves Mike Tyson. Um, You guys have had what, Yusuf Joshua there. Uh, in in Riyadh you had uh, Ruiz Joshua in Riyadh Um, you could have so much more you could literally turn at one point boxing was America's pastime 1900 right turn of the century it's never going to be that again but if we have the best fight the best and we right now what, what we have in boxing is if you don't have the number one and number two guys at a weight as a promoter then, then then, that fight's never going to be made. And that's just as simple as that. Saudis, um, open up your wallets and bring people in. Don't be a dipshit like Eddie Hearn walking around telling everybody you're going to take over the sport with a billion-dollar fund and then overpay guys and not sign a tenth of the fighters that you said you were going to sign. Everybody's got to work together. Make everybody an owner in this sport. Let's get insurance and a pension plan for fighters who stay in the top 15 in the world for five years. Let's do universal beta drug testing, right? Saudi Arabia, you can help. You can help. And again, I didn't know how to feel about the Live PGA Tour thing, right? I still don't know how to feel about it. But, you know, if it's my sport, boxing, Saudis, we need your help, okay? We need your help. All right. There's the first episode, motherfuckers. My wife's going to yell at me for that. I love you. And you listen, we are Americans first. We are not Republicans. We are not Democrats. We're going to unpack a ton of the shit on this show. Stay tuned. And I'll talk to you next time.